Life, learning, leadership, the Llama Lounge. Yo, welcome back to the Llama Lounge, a dialogue on all things life, learning, and leadership. This is Joe Bogdan, and I have one of my brothers in the lounge with me today, Jose Ramon Jr. What's good, bro? What is up, Joe? It's good to see you and good to hear from you again, man. It's been a little bit. I know, right? Man, how, how you been doing? Good. Really good. Just continuing the fight, you know, with, with the team and getting the squadron where we need to be. Keeping going with the kids, you know, luckily they're doing face-to-face learning and they're doing really well. So just, just taking it one day at a time. Oh, they're doing face-to-face learning. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's been a, it's been a huge blessing being a Dover. I'll tell you that um, we got them in a, in a really good school and they're, they're learning. Jose surprises me every day with his vocabulary. My daughter yesterday started talking to me about a proposal for commissions for, for chores around the house and stuff. And I'm like, you guys are just huh. crazy. Huh. Wow. <laughs> yeah. that, that's yeah. pretty amazing, man. That's pretty amazing. I know Jose face-to-face classes. That means he sees the ladies again. So, Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's going to hear this one day and be like, dad, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Little Jose. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Casanova. So, man. <laughs> so, so Jose, man, we have another fantastic guest in the lounge with us today, Daniel Harris. Daniel is an armed services veteran with more than 30 years of service to our great nation. He is a published author and is the founder of Muddy Boots Leadership, a leadership development organization that specializes in developing managers and supervisors into leaders. He is also a professor of organizational leadership studies at Mercy College, and we can't wait to talk some leadership with him. Welcome to the lounge, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you very much, Joel and Jose. I, I appreciate it. Um, you know, thanks for having me. Oh, it's an honor. It's our honor to have a person with just so much leadership experience, just a combat proven leader with with all the leadership experience that you have, as well as you're, you teach it, you know, and, and that's, a, that's something that, you know, I also um, hold near and dear to my heart because I'm also an adjunct professor. So like I said, I can't wait to talk some leadership with you. But before we get started, I was hoping um, you can share with us a little bit about like what's going on in your neck of the woods. Uh, we're all over the world right now. 2020 was an interesting year. 2021 seems like it's going to be a very interesting year as well. So uh, we're wondering, how, where are you at right now? And if you could share, uh, how are things in your neck of the woods? Well, I tell you, um, thank you very much again. Um, yes, 2021 seems like it's going to be an interesting year. In fact, uh, mm-hmm. they, they, they all will be, right? Um, so uh, I'm located in the Poconos. I'm in uh, Tobihanna. There's a lot of snow outside. It's mm-hmm. cold, gray, um, somewhat overcast right now. But, um, you know, it's beautiful. Every day when I wake up, I look around and I say, I have today. I have today. And, um, you know, that allows me to go out and um, get as much as I can get done within the 24 hours because uh, tomorrow is going to come with its own challenges and its own uh, opportunities and so on and so forth. So uh, it's it's uh, I'm in a beautiful uh, Pocono Mountains. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's great. I mean, you know, and I think um, the Llama team, we, we talk about this all the time too, like every day comes with choices and those choices to make it a great day, right? Mm-hmm. And there, there's many opportunities for us every day. So that's an awesome perspective. So so Daniel, you know, whenever we have a guest in a lounge, we ask that they share their story as we find that, you know, we often learn a lot from the experiences of others. So 
Would you mind sharing with us? How did Daniel Harris become the man he is today? Well, first of all, I, I, I have to uh, attribute that to a lot of the people that I've met over uh, my life's journey, mm. starting with my parents. I was born and raised in, in Liberia, in West Africa. Wow. And uh, my family immigrated to the United States when um, I was about uh, 15 years of age. Uh, my dad is a minister, a priest, a Coptic, uh, the Coptic Orthodox Church. Mm. Uh, the family joined him here in 1977. So February of 1977, Dan Harris, uh, between the age of uh, 15, 16 years old, found himself in the United States. Landed at JFK Airport at 5 oh. p.m. on a Pan mm. Am flight. And it was snowing. <laughs> so just just picture that uh, in your mind uh, an african uh, teenager landing in new york for the first time um, you know being born and raised uh, in, in west africa lived in harlem new york for a short period of time in dad's uh, one bedroom apartment and uh, after uh, several months we moved to staten island and that's pretty much where uh, my americanization as i call it uh, began um, with my brother and myself and just having a great time uh, learning and wanting to be Americans. It was a big deal for us to be Americans. Mm. Uh, we, we, we immersed ourselves in the radio programs, the music, the, the magazines, the newspapers, mm. the, uh, and, and all of that. I remember those, those uh, summer months uh, very fondly. Went to school, um, finished, went to Curtis High School in Staten Island. Uh, graduated, traveled the U.S., uh, spent a lot of time in Colorado, in Boulder. I did some internships with uh, with, with uh, Ball Aerospace Firms and, and and other other parts. I came back to New York, went to college, and as they say, the rest is history. Um, my background is in biology, in, in science. And one day while I was conducting a, a long centrifuge spin, separating out proteins, mm. I went out for a walk, got a cup of coffee, and I ended up in an armory because I have an affinity for old buildings. Hmm. And no sooner did I walk in, I found myself signing papers. That's when you know you've got a very good recruiter. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> but um, you know, I knew that I wanted to serve uh, because coming here, my, my grandfather, Pedro, had, uh, had you know, told my brother and I this, that uh, he gave us two things. He said, you know, I don't have wealth to give you boys. Um, so he said, I'm going to give you this book. And in here lies all of the answers to all of the questions you will ever have. Mm. And it was his Bible. And the wow. second thing he told my brother and I uh, was whatever country you find yourselves in, make sure that you serve her military. Mm. That is the greatest honor you can give to your country. And, you know, as Young teenagers, of course, it kind of went over, you know, on us. But um, as uh, as the time went by and we were here in the U.S., um, you know, those those words started to come back, you know, started to come back. And so I wasn't averse to, you know, signing the papers. I, I did so. I went for training and this was in the New York Army National Guard. Mm -hmm. And uh, I came back, reported. Thankfully, my uh, commanding officer. Uh, Captain McNally, a good friend of mine, we're still we're still friends today. Someone uh, that I uh, have a lot of admiration and respect for uh, him and my first sergeant Kolodkin. The you know the, you can never underestimate the impact that these people have on a a a, a life. 
And um, they told me, hey, you don't need to be, you need to go to, you need to go to uh, officer's uh, school. So mm -hmm. got me set up for OCS and off I went. And uh, 31 plus years later, and uh, I, I retired. Wow. wow. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's the story. So recently, October of 29th, I published a book on guard, mm -hmm. The Four Pillars of Leadership. It can be found on Amazon, in which I define the four pillars uh, as courage, love, integrity, and passion. I submit that all elements of leadership rest on those four pillars. We know a lot about courage, we know about integrity, passion, the love component to so that love pillar is kind of, it's kind of wonky. People start looking at you shifty eyed and go, what do you mean love, love mm -hmm. leadership? Mm -hmm. uh, but I submit to you that, that when you are dealing with people, mm -hmm. you have to have that element of love. And in fact, leaders are lovers of people. Mm -hmm. Not the love that exists between a man and a woman, but love, brotherly love. Mm -hmm. The same love as exhibited by the man Christ, the same mm -hmm. love that was exhibited by Gandhi, mm -hmm. uh, the same love exhibited by Martin Luther King, and, and mm -hmm. so many of the great leaders you can think about. Uh, and the reason why I, I mentioned those figures is they are prime examples of how powerful and passionate that love component can be, that they will fall on their sword for it. Mm -hmm. They will give their lives for it, and um, it's 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 um, it's it's very powerful. Uh, so just before that, as I mentioned earlier, I uh, spent more than thirty years in the military, in the army, uh, met a lot of great people, learned a great deal, and uh, you know then opened up Muddy Boots Leadership LLC, which is my leadership consulting uh, business, and uh, here here we are. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's amazing. And I want to give a huge shout out to uh, General John Gronsky for connecting. Um, I think that's how we kind of got connected here and, um, and amazing leader himself and really appreciate the, the leadership that I've already seen exhibited in you from just reading your book. And, um, you know, I've been thumbing through it. It's amazing points in here. I love it. Right. And I love how you're, you point out that because you talk about courage, love, integrity, and passion. And I think, we talk about courage a lot. We talk about integrity a lot. And once again, we talk about passion, but you bringing up the point on love. I do think that that's something we, we should definitely dig into. Right, Jose? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, before we do that, I, I want to say thank you um, for one, just kind of talking about your story, right? I find myself very connected to your story. Uh, my dad left uh, Mexico when he was 17 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I actually was trying to, you know, trace my roots, so to speak. And I found a, a point where uh, my great grandparents left Puerto Rico to come to Hawaii in search of a better life. And so when you talk about no greater honor than serving your country's military, that's something I take uh, very seriously for me. You know, the opportunities my family has and what my children have is because of that, right? Coming into this country and, and doing that. So I just want to say thank you. And I think uh, love, you know, there's a, I know there's, there's a scripture where it talks about, you know, of all these three remain faith, hope, and love. And the greatest is love. Like that's, it's true, right? There's, there's so many things that happen to you. And if you allow for anything other than love to take control of your heart, it's very easy to go into some dark places and kind of have some things. So that's. Precisely. Yeah. And, and just in reference to that uh, 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 scripture as well, 
you know, the, the, the armed forces allows uh, for a demonstration of that, you know, where it says greater love with no man than to lay down his life for his friend. Mm. I tell you, we may uh, marginalize it, but uh, that is exactly what every single uh, service member has consciously, consciously raised their hand to swear and defend and uphold the Constitution of the United States in defense of mm -hmm. his her brother, an American. Think about mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. You have you have agreed to lay down your life for your friend, and that is very honorable. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, other those pillars. I mean, and you talk about it in your book that you know you can have the courage, you can have the integrity, you can have the passion, but without that love, you're you're limiting your leadership capabilities. You're, you're, mm -hmm. li you're limiting so much more than that. And I'd love for you to dig a little bit more into what you mean by love, because it comes in many fashions. It seems like from what your perspective is in the book, it's not just loving the people around you, but also loving what you do and everything else. Yes. Yes. So um, the, the underpinning of that is your strong desire, the leader's desire mm -hmm. to elevate uh, people or a person, wherever you meet them, right? Um, such that when you break contact, when you go your separate ways, uh, those people are better off than when you met them. Okay. So what are the things that you need to do to get them to that position? It's, it's never about you. It's always about the people and the mission or the objective of what needs to happen. Because you know this, when you get them to that point, Okay, with or without your presence, the objective will be accomplished. They will they will get there. Okay, and more importantly, they know that. Okay, so I heard um, this saying once, and you're probably familiar with it. That um, soldiers don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm -hmm. And that's from the first sergeants, the platoon sergeants, uh, company commanders, and 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 so on, and uh, you know, so on up the chain. Um, we're not talking about cuddling. We're not talking about pampering. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about uh, um, you know giving in or being permissive. That's not that's not love. Mm -hmm. um, we're talking about diligently, skillfully, patiently growing and developing those around you. Uh, to accomplish whatever goal it is, while at the same time elevating them to that next level. And uh, it is pure and it, it, it has to have an element of this is not about, this is not about me, it's about you. Yeah. And I love what you bring up there because I think it's too much in today's leaders, you see them going one way or the other and not realizing that there's a place in the middle, whether maybe it's even discipline and loving someone like you can, you can instill mm -hmm. discipline while showing them love still, right? You can, mm -hmm. you can grow them and their human self and help them meet their goals while still accomplishing the military mission or whatever mission your organization has. And, and some people don't realize that there's a space there that you can do both it has to be one or the other and that's just and that's not true at all absolutely um i agree with you and uh think about it this way 
in the opposite or what it is not. Mm -hmm. So leadership by intimidation, humiliation, and fear, mm -hmm. right? That's not leadership, that's bullying. Mm -hmm. And I submit to you, you're not mm -hmm. gonna get anything done, right? Um, when you lead from the, the position of the four pillars, why is that important? Mm -hmm. Because in elevating the human condition, you are going to do a number of things, uh, namely two things. You are going to unleash their creative self, okay? And you're going to open up and unleash their innovative self. So when you remove the reins, when you remove the left and, and, and right limits of getting their work done, giving them autonomy, you know, we say engage, and a team member or an engaged workforce, and we use the word engagement a lot, um, we're really talking about the beginnings of that where provide people autonomy in doing their work. Let them have a say in how they get their work done. I submit to many CEOs and, and managers, when you hire Joe, okay, the only thing you're doing is really onboarding him or her and providing them the resources and perhaps providing them some priorities. But um, Joe knows how to get the work done. You don't need to teach them how to do their work. Mm -hmm. And the worst thing you can do is to stand over them and try to micromanage them in doing that work. When you do that, you shut their creativity and their innovation, uh, innovative self. Uh, and now they're, you know, they're following your prescription of how you want that work done. Well, if that's the case, why did you hire Joe? You should have just kind of done yourself. Right. Right. But that is so important. We look at our corporations, our businesses that uh, champion uh, innovative and, 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 and creativity. A good example of that would be uh, the, the company, Apple. Okay. Why is it that, you know, we have such fondness and, and, and respect, you know, for the company? Well, because you know that every year they're coming up with something new. <laughs> they're coming up with something different. And they, it's, it's, it's going to be uh, um, uh, different from what we currently have. So, um, you know, we, we look forward to that. There are Apple, I call them, uh, uh, you know, they're the Apple people. Um, you know, they're, they're excited about all the, the uh, innovation and all the creativity that, that, that this company has. And there are very many others uh, in, that, in that same vein. Um, so there is no telling. It is a limitless well. It is, it is, uh, it, it is big, um, mm -hmm. the, the, the level of creativity and how innovative people can be when you're not being prescriptive and, mm -hmm. um, you know, micromanaging and, and telling them how um, you want necessarily things done. Yeah, yeah. And there's, it's, it's like a, a form of lazy, quote unquote, leadership. I wouldn't even call it leadership when you talked about the bullying and everything else and micromanaging when you're telling people you will do it this way or I will do this to you or it's just black and right. white. These are the, the guidelines that you have to execute this. There's no way around it. Like you said, it's not just, you know, crushing innovation and creativity, but it creates this culture. And I remember Jose, I remember you told me this story one time where, you know, as a, as a chief, 
if you went down to one of your work centers and was just asking them input on, you know, how did, how, how, how do they do something or how would they do something if they were to do it? And they looked at you confused, like, what you're asking us? You know, I mean, like, what kind of culture was that? <laughs> because they were confused mm-hmm. when you actually asked them what their input was, but they're the ones on the ground doing the work, which would only make sense, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, and it's it's hard too because um, I think all of us, you know, you get to positions of leadership and you get to positions of increased responsibility because you've done something or you you've proven yourself, right? And and sometimes you think that you already know what what it should be. And it, it, it's an intentional step and an intentional pause to say, okay, I know what I would like and what I want, but I need to give them the space to do it. Because as you guys are talking about, ownership is absolutely huge. If you do not allow for your personnel to take ownership of a project or a goal or a task or whatever, then then as, as you said, sir, what's the point of you even hiring them or giving them the project? Because you might as well do it yourself. Um, and it's difficult. You know, the first time I, I can remember that transition is you go from, you know, within the Air Force, you go from an airman, the airman tier to the NCO tier, right? Becoming an NCO. A lot of times you're like, it's just easier if I do it, maybe mm-hmm. for one. But as you progress and you have 20, there's no way you can do that. And you have to detach yourself and you have to give them that chance for that ownership and for them to um, for them to fail younger. So it doesn't catch up to them later. You know, they have they have to learn it with the small things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And thus, you know, growing and developing should be a mantra that we all embrace. Mm -hmm. Um, All leaders embrace because Mm -hmm. that is what separates us from every thing else the the fact that daily a moment by moment we grow and develop and really what is growing and developing it's experiential you make mistakes you learn from those mistakes you leverage what you've learned on the next event and you continue to grow and develop and develop and you, you can see that that process becomes limitless it becomes limitless Mm-hmm. I remember when I was an intern at uh, Ball Airspace uh, in, uh, in Boulder, um, I had to uh, pump down a vacuum chamber uh, because we had a, a piece of satellite skin in there in which we, you know, we, we, you test the skins um, by, by uh, pumping the, the chamber down and mm-hmm. you watch to see how the layers of molecules outgas from the surface, right? Mm-hmm. Because eventually these skins are used to wrap all the electronics that go into these satellites. And with this first experience, um, Dr. Pullman told me, okay, Dan, you know, this is how you know, to do this. We set the thing up, we hooked up all the uh, uh, connections to the mass spectrometer and chilled down the, <laughs> the, the chamber and just as we went from uh, um, you know, medium vacuum to high vacuum around minus uh, uh, 10 tours, uh, the entire thing collapsed. Hmm. And uh, I looked and said, oh my, I'm talking about a piece of steel, uh, three to four inches thick. It just collapsed on itself like an egg. Oh, wow. And I remember Dr. Uh, Pullman looking around, he goes, Seamless. He wasn't even shocked. He says, "Well, I guess you screwed that one up." Um, <laughs> shut it all down and let's start that again. And uh, 
for a moment, I got caught in the moment that I destroyed this thing. You know, what do I do next? And because of his attitude, it allowed mm -hmm. me to right. really think about what I did. And I was more cautious. I paid uh, attention. Um, mm -hmm. I made sure that the talk wrenches were, were, were all set at the right uh, uh, dials everything. And, um, mm -hmm. and, and I just go back and I, I mentioned that because if he had taken a different approach, mm -hmm. that would not have allowed me to grow. Right. That would not have allowed me to, to develop. And so I come back to, I am where I am today because of all the uh, great people that I have come across in my growth and development and, and, and in their teaching and mentoring. Uh, many were uh, NCOs. NCOs are great teachers mm -hmm. because they're not bogged down with the book stuff. Mm -hmm. It's it's in your face, up close and personal, <laughs> and you never forget the moments. <laughs> um, and that's what I like about it. It's not the academy, you know, sit down, classroom. No, it's it's you know, on the moment, in your face, up close and personal, and. It's not, uh, it's about your growth and development. It's not, a, it's, mm -hmm. they don't hate you. They don't dislike you. It's just, it's just about getting the work done. And, uh, oh, by the way, we'll tell you if you've done something stupid, officer or not. <laughs> right. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. But you know, it's, it's a great point that you bring up because, you know, when it comes to allowing that to happen, that failure or, or the continuous failing, right? And as learning opportunities arise, I mean, it takes some humility as well. And I, I know I talk to my teams all the time. I'm like, hey, I don't know everything, but all of us together know a lot. You know, it, it's, it takes a, a lot of humility to be able to be willing to talk to your folks and say, hey, maybe, maybe I'm not the only one that knows how to do this. And maybe, you know, a better way to do this, regardless of how junior you are to me, because you've experienced different things. And, and that's where that teamwork comes together. And I think it takes a lot of humility. And, and also like what you talked about, you know, uh, with a leader allowing you to fail. I know in my career field, our motto was almost like, if you ain't never broke nothing, you ain't never worked. Right. <laughs> and, 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 you know, some of those people that they've never broken anything because they haven't actually done anything. They probably haven't learned anything either. And it's such an important um, concept. And as leaders to also identify, hey, what what you can allow them to break as well. What, you know, be able to have that discernment there and be like, hey, this is OK. You can mess this up a little bit, but you're going to learn from that. You know. Yes. Yes. Very, very important. Uh, very a key aspect to that growth and development and to have leaders who nurture that space of that environment and, 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 and uh, have that culture on their teams that um, it's, you know, they're not reckless. Mm -hmm. They're not, uh, you know, being irresponsible, but um, it's, it's, the, it's, it's the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And there's always with the mindset of my replacement, if I am not here, this team needs to function. They still need right. to be able to accomplish the mission. And so you create that space on that team, both the culture and the environment that allows for that. And it takes, I tell you, it takes more than uh, being humble. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, it's a deliberate, methodical mm -hmm. uh, approach to, um, to growing and developing people. Yeah. Yeah, I like what you said there, because it is more than just being humble, because there's times where you sit there and you think, 
All right. Maybe I really do know the best way, but I'm going to be intentional with allowing them <laughs> the opportunity mm-hmm. just in case, you know, they, they might get there. And if they get there 15 steps more, you know, like 15 additional steps and I would have got them to at least they got there and they learned something on the way there. And then maybe we can start honing and becoming a chef a little bit instead of just being a cook. And maybe I can show you how to cut some of those steps off, but you got to get there and you got to learn and build that foundation first. Right. So yeah. something I offered my my uh, my executive officer and my command sergeant major, you know, I said, gentlemen, um, in my mind, the three of us uh, here. Here's how I see it: we're the last one standing in the middle of the of the battlefield, mm-hmm. guns drawn, and we're saying to the world, "Bring it on!" Okay, back to back, um, where three of us agree on everything. Uh, two of us become unnecessary. Okay. No. I need you to bring your best self. I need you to watch my back that you do not allow me to walk off the ledge. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you get to those moments where there is something that I need to know and um, you're just not getting my attention. <clears throat> I call it jumping on my desk moment. I am authorizing you to walk into my office, climb up on my desk, grabbed me by the ears and looked me in the eye and said, you need to. <laughs> and I'm authorizing you to do this. Uh, but, um, you know, excellent team uh, with, with, with that CSM and, and, um, and, and my XO. Um, I wrote about him in, in, uh, in, in the book, my command sergeant major. It's about, you know, it's about officers uh, and, and, you know, and highlight uh, several officers that, uh, that I learned a great deal from. But um, I tell you, my command sergeant major, uh, by far one of the best human beings I ever ran across. Talk about mm-hmm. teaching moments. And I was fortunate enough to know him um, when I was a first lieutenant and a captain um, as a company commander. A bunch of years went by, and now he's back in my brigade, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I'm a lieutenant colonel. And so because of that prior uh, experience of knowing each other before, we, we just hit it off. Mm-hmm. I mean, out in the field or wherever, uh, you know, he'd, he'd bring his cotton, put it next to mine, and we'd talk for hours. And in those hours, you know, he'd share, you know, you know, by the time you get to be a command sergeant major, kind of like a master chief, you know, you've got some serious numbers of years under your belt mm-hmm. and experience in dealing with, with you know, soldiers and, and, and airmen and so on and so forth. And uh, I learned a tremendous amount uh, from, this, from this gentleman. Yeah, um, yeah one, uh, one, one time uh, we were out in the field, I had 170 soldiers with me and the uh, breakfast meal was going to be late because mm. our field kitchen that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> and at four in the morning, I got a knock on, on the tent and uh, cook saying, sir, uh, breakfast is going to be late. Well, what happened? Well, the, the field kitchen did not make it. What do you mean mm. it did not make it? It, it, it? it doesn't get here by itself. So mm. who didn't do what they were supposed to do? Mm. And the CSM, as was typical, we, we, we shared a, a tent together with, you know, with the XO. He said to me, sir, uh, let me let me find out what, what happened and, uh, and and I'll get back to you. You know, so I recognized at the moment, you know, he just inserted himself between 
me as the commander mm-hmm. <laughs> and this sergeant first class, uh-huh. you know, this, this NCO, because, you know, going from sleep to that kind of a news, it's right. about going from zero to 90 in a second. Right. Um, so he went out and found out what, what, uh, what, what the deal was and uh, came back and, and kind of gave me a heads up. But the interesting thing was that formation. And he said to me, sir, what you do right here, right now is mm-hmm. going to determine if these soldiers ever follow you or listen mm-hmm. to you. It was about 35 degrees outside. We, we had spent the night out and 170 soldiers getting ready to start the day at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't even give them a cup of coffee to start the day. <laughs> Not good. Right. <laughs> Not good. And that command sergeant major uh, looked at me, um, wheels are turning, utterly confused because this is one of those life situations I hadn't faced before. And he uh, said to me, well, sir, you've got trucks? I said, yes. He said, you've got a bus? I said, yes. He said, there's a Burger King on post? I said, yes. He pulled out $100 and slapped it in my hand and said, feed the soldiers. Hmm. And that was the cue that I needed hmm. to summon my driver. We drove to the to, to the ATM. I, I think the max I could get out was like $300. I added hmm. it to the 100 he gave me, drove to the Burger King on post, got the manager, and I said, hey, listen, in about 40 minutes, you're going to have 170 soldiers <laughs> driving through here. Yeah. Each one gets a cup of coffee and a breakfast sandwich. Yeah. Here's $400 to start. I'll circle back to you if you have any questions. Wow. And I left. Would you believe till today I will run across some of those soldiers? <laughs> They're now eights. You know, and E9s, they've, they've, mm-hmm. they've moved up to the rank. And I get this reaction that you are the man. You are the man. <laughs> we all, they all knew what had happened. And they were all trying to figure out how the hell is he going to handle this? Right. And, you know, that, you know, you pulled it off. You, you sacrificed. You knew what to do and so on and so forth. But I truly owe that to my command sergeant major. Right. <laughs> right. Just, um, that's not something you learn you know, at the academy or, or in a classroom. Right. And, and, you know, that relationship that you just discovered, I mean, Jose and I are both um, what you'd consider a command sergeant major equivalent of our, of our squadrons. And, you know, that relationship exactly. with your commander is, is just so important to be honest too. Like the other day uh, I, I was talking to my commander here, we were just having a conversation and one of my senior NCOs came in to give my commander good news. It was great news. It was something that was broken for like months mm-hmm they finally got it fixed. And his immediate response was why, basically, why didn't it get fixed earlier type stuff, you know, instead of just embracing the good news. So I, you know, and me being the E9, I was like, Hey, um, timeout, sir, can you hold on for a second? He said, yeah. I said, uh, Scott, go outside and come back in and tell him that same news again, sir. I'd like you to respond accordingly the way you should when you get good news. And then he he exact he got exactly what I was saying. So he came back in. It felt like it rewinded. He came back in, told him the exact same news. He said, "Thank you. That was great news." <laughs> yeah. And and yeah. I tell you, um, that is that that that's what you get again. That up close, personal, on mm-hmm. the spot. Mm-hmm. There's not a you know, big analysis uh, about what has to happen. It's, it's really um, NCOs in in my book are worth their weight in gold. Mm -hmm. I tell you good (laughs) NCOs. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not a coincidence that 
many of us, many of us remember our drill sergeants, okay? And, and it's, it's with fondness and it's with respect and admiration. I would, I would submit to you greater than 99.9% uh, remember those, those, those sergeants and those NCOs. Mm-hmm. And, and in doing the analysis of, well, why is that? Mm-hmm. I can't say that I, I, I have the same uh, uh, for, for officers, mm-hmm. okay? But we, we do for NCOs and I think it's that on the ground, up close and personal, and the fact that you know that they care, mm-hmm. you know that they care. Right. Um, there's no question in your mind. And it's a collective thing. They're not picking on you. It's not personal. Mm-hmm. It's about developing and growing you so that you can be able to accomplish your mission safely, protecting your equipment and your, and your fellow uh, uh, brothers and sisters in arms. And um, it's a it's a higher you know it's a it's a higher calling. In yeah. another uh, instant, my CSM went up against the GO or general officer on my mm-hmm. behalf, and I wasn't even my in my office. <laughs> As is typical, in the name of my firm, you know, Muddy Boots Leadership, I like to walk around, mm-hmm. and I say you cannot lead from behind your desk. You cannot lead uh, uh, in your office. You have to be out moving about uh, elbow to elbow with the team that you're leading. And people say, well, well, then you don't have enough time to do your work. Uh, No, you do have enough time to do your work. When the team is gone down, Mm -hmm. when the team is finished work for the day, that's when you circle back to your office and start your work, Mm -hmm. (laughs) okay? Mm -hmm. Um, You're not in that office or, or behind that desk when they're out there working. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I returned, my absentio pulled me to the side and said, sir, uh, the brigade commander was in here and, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the GO uh, was here and he just, he just went off. And I said, well, what happened? I mean, that's, that's, that's not, uh, uh, that's not norm for, you know, for the CSM. Uh, but apparently uh, he told the general, you know, I don't know how you officers talk and interact with one another, but I have to tell you this, this brigade commander constantly denigrates, speaks ill, disrespectfully about my commander behind his back in front of soldiers. Mm. He said, in front of soldiers. So now when I have soldiers snickering and murmuring and talking because that that's affecting morale Mm -hmm. and he goes sir now that becomes my problem and i need you general to fix it Mm -hmm. (laughs) so uh, and and but that's the when i talk about leadership you know it's not within the rank uh the csm knew that for the betterment of the environment and the culture in that organization he needed to get handle of that real quick Mm-hmm. quickly. And, um, you know, that was apart from my periphery or, or uh, uh, you know, below my noise level. Mm-hmm. But the CSM is the one who has his pulse on the morale of the unit, of the soldiers. Right. And he quickly had to right-size that. And he took the, took the position that he needed to. Mm-hmm. And I admire that. I admire that. 
from. Yeah. That's awesome. Hey, you know, Dan, I wanted to transition to something that I find very, uh, very prevalent throughout your book. And it's something that I can tell that you find very important is continuous learning. Right. And, and we talk a lot about developing our subordinates and the, peer, the people around us and even some of the people above us, you know, as, as NCOs and senior NCOs, we're, we're required to continuously mentor our CGOs, et cetera, and our commanders. Right. But a lot of times we overlook how important it, uh, it is for us as leaders to continuously learn and develop you know, look for, seek those opportunities to develop ourselves. And I, I was wondering what, what's your perspectives on that? How important that is to continuously learn as a leader? Well, you have to, or else uh, you're going to die in the vines. Mm. So a practice that I have, and I shared this with each of my uh, commanders, company commanders. In fact, I required that of them was to do two things. Told them, I don't care how busy you get, mm-hmm. how filled up your schedule becomes. You have to make the time to do two things. And first is to read about your business. In our case, it's warfare, the science, the, the uh, latest and greatest lessons learned, uh, and so on. There, there are tons of material uh, from um, you know, command and general staff school and from, you know, ILE and from all the different schools that we go to. So, and, and, and the autobiographies of, of you know, generals and, and colonels and senior officers, I said, you need to make time to read about your business, your profession, because that's how you're going to maintain the edge. And the second thing that I want you to do is to make time to think. That's different from reading. This is where you create a space where you sit and do nothing else, but you sit um, and indulge yourself with your favorite vice. Mm-hmm. Okay, in my case, it could be a scotch. And if it's warm, I'm sitting outside with a cigar. Mm-hmm. And just think about your profession and your business and how to do it better, how to do it differently, right? Um, how do you break the rules to get to that next level. Mm-hmm. How do you, and when I say break the rules, I mean break status quo, mm-hmm. okay? Question the status quo and be willing to break it. There are ways to go about doing it, of course, right? Um, but be willing to do that. And you're not gonna be able to get to that space if you have not entertained it ahead mm-hmm. of time. I think effective leaders do that and they may not have given it some thought, but I think if you were to sit and talk to them, you will identify that, that they do that. They read a lot. And I mean, you have to be a reader. You have to, you have to be willing to educate yourself. And they think a lot about that business. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say this, why is it that you know, people who are good at what they do have arrived at where they're at, you know? Talk about that total immersion. Let me just uh, put it this way. You are on a tennis court 
playing against Serena Williams. Mm-hmm. It was okay, so go ahead and serve the ball. And you serve the ball with all of your might. <laughs> with everything you got. Understand this. In Serena Williams' world, she can stand there and see that ball coming at her in slow motion. Mm-hmm. She could probably read the word Wilson on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now what happens when she returns that serve? You, my friend, will probably duck <laughs> because it's coming at you so fast that you, you, by the time you raise your, your racket, it's gone. Mm-hmm. And you say, okay, do that again, do that again. Mm-hmm. Well, why is that? You know, <laughs> um, in the world of Michael Jordan, you know, he will make consistently, consistently, you know, seven, eight out of 10 shots. And you, or me, I should say, you know, I will consistently make one out of 10 shots. <laughs> okay. They have mastered their world and their world evolves completely differently for them than it does for you. And in order for you to get to that level in whatever your world is, in our case, it's the profession of arms, mm-hmm. okay? You need to totally immerse and let go of all the reins, mm-hmm. okay? You're studying, you're reading, you're, you're, you're thinking, your conversations, the programs that you listen to and watch, um, the friends that you have, it's all about that. And I will submit to you, when you get to that level, you have no choice but to either be among the best or the best at it. And that is that process of continuously growing and developing. I, I uh, offer this, that I carry an invisible knapsack on my back. And in it, I constantly stash away golden nuggets of mm. discussions that I've had with people. When I read something that I think Hmm, I've learned something here, or I see a quotation, mm-hmm. or I listen to a program. I, I'm always stashing stuff into that knapsack. It never gets filled. Yeah. But inevitably, somewhere down the road, I'm always able to pull out something that I've put away in that backpack to leverage on a situation that's at hand. And thus, I, I'm never stressed out about anything. I'll tell you this. And my children laugh at me and they say, you know what? Dad is, you know, the world is falling apart around him. People are dying. It's melting. There's fire and explosions. And he stands there, looks around and go, we'll be okay. We'll be all right. Hmm. Because, you know, I just, it's, it's the experience and just knowing that um, there is, I will always be able to find a way to fix or, 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 or resolve the situation at hand. And you get to that point because of continuously growing, developing, mm-hmm. learning. And um, I use everything around me as, as, as learning tools, mm-hmm. from going to church on Sunday to speaking with my neighbor, yeah. our conversation now. Um, yeah. There's always opportunities to learn and grow and develop. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a great perspective. Love it. <laughs> I love it. And, you know, that continuous learning is just so important. Also, to just to maintain, you know, not just mastering your craft, like you said, but also maintaining inspiration and being a positive leader. You know, if, if you get if you let yourself get stagnant, your people see it. 
they, they see that Absolutely. and they have a hard time wanting to follow. Cause I've, I've, I've seen stagnant leaders and I had a hard time following them and, and, and you know, you could, you could see it all around you. So absolutely love that Daniel really love that. So thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you. I, one of the, the, the things that I remember at the Academy was uh, um, as an officer and I applied to, in, in, you know, to, to, to all of us, right? To anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, when a situation arises, do something. Mm-hmm. Don't stand there frozen as the leader. Do something. Okay. We will have an opportunity to discuss the merits of what you did. You know, it could be over a cup of coffee or over a beer. Mm-hmm. But don't you ever freeze in front of your soldiers mm-hmm. when... <laughs> When the world is going to hell in the hellball, okay? Um, you know, figure out, come up, do something. And um, yeah, I, I, I really internalize that. And, and, mm-hmm. and I take it with me uh, even till this day uh, with the mindset that no matter what has happened, okay, we will figure out a way. And that's the uniqueness of the, of the human spirit. Mm-hmm. We try one way. If it doesn't work, we'll try another. If that doesn't work, we'll try. We will keep trying, okay. But um, we don't give up. You don't. You don't give the polar bear salute, which is you know your arms up <laughs> in the air. <laughs> <laughs> you, you figure it out. You you keep applying different techniques, different tactics at it, and uh, eventually you will overcome. Yeah. You may not be alive to see it, but depending on the culture that you've created on that team, uh, trust me, they will, they will overcome. Hmm. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> well, Daniel, you know, we're, we're getting closer on time, but what we wanted to do was give you an opportunity to talk about, um, you know, your website and any other way, how, how do people get a hold of you? How do people find more out about you and muddy boots leadership? Thank, thank you, Joe. Um, so, the website is www.muddybootsleadership.com. And on there, uh, you can navigate and, and uh, you know, contact me. Uh, but uh, very simply, www.muddybootsleadership.com, all one word. The book is also available on uh, Amazon. Again, it's On Guard, The Four Pillars of Leadership. Uh, and... Uh, you know, buy it and read it and be inspired. I say, you know, managers motivate and leaders inspire. Mm. So mm. if you showed up to work three days late in, in one week and your manager cuts your pay, mm. that motivates you to show up in time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the leader inspires you so that you wouldn't even think about showing up late. Mm. And when you do show up, they have to tell you, hey, it's time to go home. Right. And when you go home, you can't wait to come back the next day. <laughs> now, I'm not being you know, rhetorical here. You can get your team to operate at that level, to yeah. that operational effectiveness. Yeah. And, it's, and it's powerful. So uh, www.muddybootsleadership.com and, uh, and the book On Guard, uh, The Four Pillars of Leadership. Um, you know, one of the things in applying today uh, with crisis leadership and, you know, good example, we're, we're now, the world is now facing, you know, COVID, right? Mm-hmm. 
I submit to you that there's going to be a next COVID. Mm-hmm. It could, it may not be a pandemic. It might be a famine. It might be a flood or some big, you know, whether something else is going to happen. And you, you never really have a solution that's um, created for that particular situation. But because of a diversified tool, toolkit that you carry in that knapsack, given the situation when it comes up, you'll be able to custom make the solution for it. And it starts with leadership. You know, John C. Maxwell says uh, that everything rises and fall on leadership. And I truly believe that everything does fall on leadership. And if you take the situation that we currently are in with COVID, that is a leader responsibility on a team mm. to look after the resilience of your team members. You need, to, you need to pay attention to that because at the end of the day, if your team is not resilient, it's gonna impact your bottom line, which is either accomplishing your mission or reaching your third quarter's you know, uh, earnings profits, yeah. right? So everything does rest with the leader and how you approach that. Good example, in the case of COVID, it has come in and surgically attacked all of the things that we hold near and dear to our, you know, to our lives, mainly our social interaction, whether it's church, whether it's happy hour, whether it's the play dates, whether it's the doggy dates, the families who have dog dates, mm-hmm. right? Uh, taking kids to the parks, all of that has been surgically cut off. And do you think that people are going to become depressed about that? Oh, yeah. And let's peel that onion back another layer. The issue of the losses, relatives dying, friends dying, you know, parents, children alone, because in COVID, you cannot be there in the hospitals with them or, you know, in hospitals or wherever they're at. That equates to a loss, right? And a loss equates to a change in your life. So how do you manage that change? That is a leader responsibility, okay? And if you're a leader and you don't sign on to the fact that, yes, I am responsible for this, and you're developing and crafting ways to lead through those crises, um, you're you're not leading, you're not leading. And thus, those four pillars will force you, will allow you to entertain that because you care about your people that much. Dropping gems. (laughs) Daniel Harris, (laughs) dropping gems out here. (laughs) Really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing you know, the wisdom that comes with all of the leadership experience you had and the 30 plus years of uh, military experience. Thank you so much. And I was thinking, Jose, you want to hit them with the, uh, with the leadership rapid fire? All righty. Yeah. What is your favorite leadership trait? Favorite leadership trait. Mm-hmm. When I go back to the four pillars, it's the element of love. Mm. Uh, I got courage, got passion, I got integrity. I can talk about that all day long. Uh, that element of love, that pillar, uh, is is the is the key that unlocks uh, the other the other three. Uh, and understand that they're different. They're all not the same, and they cannot be the same because uh, the situations that you're going to face 
will be different, different day, different times, different era, and so on and so forth. So your ability to deal with those situations will depend on, you know, which pillars you're going to leverage more or less, et cetera. So that, that trait, that pillar of love. Nice. Um, so our second question is, what book would you recommend to an aspiring leader? Oh my, there, there's so many good ones out there. <laughs> so I'd say all of them, but no, seriously. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would say start with On Guard, The Four Pillars. And it's not because, um, well, you know, you're the author of that book. Yes, I wrote the book, but it is a compilation, stories, insights, and lessons learned from many, many leaders and others that I've met uh, throughout my life. So I consider myself just the one privileged to have captured it all between two binders, okay, two hard But um, I would start with on guard, the four pillars of leadership. Leaders need to always be on guard. You're always looking ahead and thus the title, okay? To the point where you are surprised, you've lost it. You're not in charge. Leaders should never be surprised. And so the journey starts right from the title of the book and goes right through. Uh, And again, I offer that it is a compilation. It's It's in a storytelling format from the hundreds of people that I've met and learned and grow and developed from over the years. It's not all coming from Dan Harris. Mm-hmm. So you would have the benefit of that. And I would, I would suggest that that's, that's my favorite. Awesome. I need to pick it up. Um, <laughs> next question is, what is your favorite quote? My favorite quote is what I mentioned earlier, that everything rises and falls on leadership. And it's by John Maxwell. And you, when you start to peel that, uh, a statement back or pull apart the words, everything implies just that, all things, all things, rises and fall on leadership, okay? And it's what's going to unlock the creative and innovative geniuses in teams or an individual. It's what's going to allow you to elevate and inspire people and leave them better off than when you met them. It is what's going to allow you to create that vision uh, of, from, from, that's resulting from always looking ahead, thinking ahead. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And, and um, you know, he, I, I think you know, he hit the nail on the head when he came up with that one. Truly have a lot of respect for him. I would concur with that. That's a great quote. That's a great one. Um, and then the final one, focusing on all things life, learning, and leadership. The last question is, how do you find your harmony between life, learning, and leadership? Well, that's uh, simple. I start with, you know, we talk about, you know, happiness. And um, happiness is relative for each of us. So this is from me. I find my happiness in a number of ways. I like to meditate. I like to reflect. I like quietness. I am painfully aware that my degree of happiness should not impose 
or impact in any negative way another person's happiness. We talk about freedoms a lot, mm-hmm. okay? And we've heard the saying, freedom is not free. Well, I need to be free to be happy. Fully agreed with you. But understand that, you know, your freedom, Jose, to extend your fist has to stop where my nose begins, mm-hmm. right? So your happiness is relative to you. In a family, the father's happiness is going to be different from the children. It's going to be different from the spouse. And so for me, that space for me has, has arrived at my reflective, meditative, reading, quiet. And I derive happiness uh, in, 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 in that. That's awesome. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> I like Absolutely. that. Dan Harris, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, you've dropped tons of wisdom today, and we hope that you come on again to talk a little bit more about some of the other topics we didn't necessarily get to discuss today. But I'm telling you, I really enjoyed this conversation. I know our listeners are going to mm-hmm. get a lot from it. And I think that we need to have you on again to talk a little bit more about leadership, sir. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Once again, thank you so much for coming on. And to all our listeners, as always, be safe, stay healthy. Llama's out. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Llama Lounge podcast. Be sure to visit the homepage for links to products and services related to this episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. See you next time.